I really do not only care about the animals, I actually care about people. <laughs> so it kind of goes hand in hand. And I, I do love both. And it, it just warms my heart knowing we're kind of making a positive difference in these communities. And we're not just turning our back. I'm Phil Hatterman, and this is Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Today, Kristen DeMarais and Felicia Diamond of Bergen Spay and Neuter Alliance discuss how a not-for-profit is created and evolves. The great work they are doing in Colorado offers inspiration for potential founders across the country. It's not just enough to have a heart. You also need to have a plan. If you're new to Dog Words, in each episode we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We Save Each Other is the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us, and they already do a lot. If you love dogs, you'll love Dog Words. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions. Go to the podcast page at rosiefund.org to share your thoughts. Please download, follow, rate, and most importantly, share Dog Words. Celebrate five years of Rosie Fund by supporting our campaign to sponsor 50 dogs. So far in 2021, we've sponsored 30 dogs. Help us reach and surpass our goal. You can donate on our website or Facebook page. You can also contribute by making a purchase from the store on our website, buying a t-shirt at bonfire.com, or buying our note cards and shirts on barkyours.com. Links are in the description. Your donations and purchases help fund the Rosie Life Starter Kits that make sure these senior and harder-to-adopt dogs have some of the items they'll need in their forever home. Please follow Rosie Fund on social media. Subscribe to the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel that offers great videos of Rosie, Peaches, and Shelter Dogs, including some exclusive content like the Sweet Casey Pet Project Dog featured in our latest post. Next time on Dog Words, Julian Javor from Pet Rescue Pilots updates us on how COVID-19 impacted their work and what's next for this amazing organization that flies pets out of shelters and lands them safely in the loving arms of rescue groups, fosters, and forever homes. The mission of Rosie Funds to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life. We thank you for joining our mission. Today on Dogwoods, we welcome the Bergen Spay and Neuter Alliance, represented by Kristen Damon Ray, the Executive Director, and Felicia Diamond, the Board President. Welcome to Dogwoods. Thank you so much for having us. First of all, Bergen Spay and Neuter does not give away your location. Where is Bergen Spay and Neuter? It's a very good question. We are an organization based in Denver. However, we really don't focus in the Denver area because there's a lot of other resources, veterinary resources within the area. We focus basically on, um, excuse me, I have a dog barking in the background. I was just going to say I dropped the ball on introductions because I did not cover everyone who is in this podcast. Yes. So Duncan is in the background. My recent rescued Scotty. So he came from uh, Aztec, New Mexico. And I'm usually not a, a puppy person. I adopt adult dogs, but he fell into my hands and he's a sweet dog, but still working on the training. <laughs> so, and he's barking at chickens right now. Well, that's the chicken's fault. They're yes. kind of asking for it. My chickens are good chickens. They are. They are good chickens. Well, Duncan doesn't know that. So we yes. need to get Duncan up to speed. So we have Duncan. We have Boomer. Hey, Boomer. Newfoundland. We have Monkey. A Grinder. Duncan. Bart. We have Boo Boo. Another. Kiji somewhere. 
Chee Chee's behind Boomer. So, so you were saying that that Bergen also has uh, underserved populations beyond Denver. So you're not Denver specific. So you're more no. broadly Colorado. We are. A lot of our focused areas are in underserved parts of Colorado, which is mainly south of Denver. And we also focus on the Western Slope and the Four Corners area of Colorado. So these areas, there's limited veterinary resources. Demographically, there might be some financial hurdles with getting pets fixed down in that area. So we provide a service with, we have a surgical mobile unit, a 26 foot mobile unit, and we have two anesthesia machines. And we drive that around to different parts of Colorado once a month. And our usual clinic days are from Thursday through Sunday, once a month. So we do a four day clinic. And I recently finished one for a week because the need was so great down in the Four Corners area of Cortez, Colorado. And we did over 280 animals in a week. It was a long, long, long week for all of us. I grew up in rural Nebraska, but I now live in Kansas City, Missouri. Someone who's grown up in a metropolitan area like Denver or Kansas City, I'm sure notices and is aware of the needs, whether it's for animal welfare or any other need in the community, and we have to get volunteers to step up, they Mm -hmm. may take for granted the fact that here are the volunteers. You have a metropolitan area. You have this pool of volunteers. You don't have as many volunteers available in the rural areas, these underserved areas, which have a lot of the same needs. Right. It's true. What's interesting is I don't bring a lot of the city folks on these trips with me. It's kind of interesting. Every volunteer, I have a few like main volunteers within my program, but mainly I actually get the community involved, which is kind of neat. So for instance, I do work down in Pueblo, Colorado, south of Colorado Springs, and I have a cadre of local volunteers that are actually willing to help. They love being at the clinics. It also brings kind of ownership in the community instead of bringing people from other parts I have different town officials down in Delta that we work with. I have someone like locally in Delta who does our laundry for us. It's just like, it's amazing. I I don't know how I could do it without the community support. Well, the truth is you couldn't. And so many organizations go into communities and they're just seen as as interlopers Mm -hmm. coming in to do good and then disappear. Mm -hmm. In this case, we're really developing relationships with the people in the communities, finding out exactly what they need, how they want it done, and it makes a big difference in participation. It's a collaboration because you have the experience working with different communities so that you come in and you find this population that wants to serve but shouldn't have to reinvent the wheel. How do we access the resources? How do we serve our community? Well, we've figured out how to do this in one place. How can we adapt it to your needs? What's different? What's unique? But also, what is the same that we can replicate from our previous experience? Yeah. We initially, when we start these programs out, we reach out to the community and knock on wood, I'm knocking on my head. We luckily have a lot of volunteers that just come out and and email and say, hey, we would like to help and do whatever and, you know, whatever that may be. 
and we onboard them and they're almost like family to us. It's very interesting. You know, this last clinic we did in Cortez, I didn't know what kind of situation we were going to be in. And for example, I used to live in Durango for a very short period, but I'd never spent time west of Durango's Cortez. And it's the Four Corners. Area. It's the Four Corners area. And I had never been to their shelter. I didn't have time to actually set up and see the shelter prior to our clinic. So it was a crapshoot. And I couldn't be more impressed. It was probably our best venue yet in all the years I've done these clinics. And the reason why I think it was the best clinic is I could not believe how much volunteer support we had, including the shelter help. And that shelter, I ended up kind of having different thoughts initially, like, oh, it's probably just a dirty, rundown shelter. No, that shelter, being a clean freak as I am, the cleanest facility and most professional people. And we had all the help in that community and there could have been more. We just didn't need as much volunteers, but we were able to get the job done. And we're talking 12, 15 hour days. And these volunteers, including the shelter staff at the Cortez Animal Shelter were there in support. We got the job done. (laughs) Well, that certainly speaks to what a community can do when it makes a commitment to something like animal welfare, because your perception prior to your visit that this is just going to be a rundown facility because a lot of small communities, even if they don't lack the will, may lack the resources to have a nice facility. And even in metropolitan areas with a, I hesitate to say well-financed because very few animal shelters or animal welfare facilities are well-financed, but very few of them, if any of them, are dedicated facilities. They're typically a repurposed facility that is no longer good enough for something else. So now we will use this to house animal control or kennels. And uh, I'm fortunate to be in Kansas City where we do have a facility that was built specifically for this purpose from the first architectural design. It wasn't even a repurposed design from some other large building to being an animal facility. It's for animals. So you go Mm -hmm. to a small town and it's to be expected that it's an old barn or an old doctor's office or just an old storefront that's been repurposed and is dilapidated and we really don't have the funds to do more than what we are. So it's encouraging that there are places out there that say, that's not good enough for our community. That's not good enough for our animals. Let's do better. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And fortunately, a lot of these shelters, especially in Colorado, are run by the city in these rural areas, or they have a city contract with another group. And so some are great, some are not so great. In this situation, we really lucked out. But what I do really embrace is not only doing spay and neuter, we also try to provide other resources. So if our vehicle is not actually present, because we can only be so many places at one time and we're only doing a clinic once a month, I try to establish uh, partnerships with veterinary communities with the local animal shelters or welfare agencies and figuring out ways to get those needs met if people do call me for spay and neuter or vaccine needs. So it's not just about our group. It's about how can we serve the community 
that we work in and do it right because we're not going to be there, not answer the phone for them. I'm there for them 24 seven. It kind of makes my husband go crazy, but I really do not only care about the animals, I actually care about people. (laughs) So it kind of goes hand in hand. And I I do love both. And it it just warms my heart knowing we're kind of making a positive difference in these communities and we're not just turning our back to them. Last year during COVID, most of the shelters just couldn't do spay and neuter. But Kristen figured out a way of how to sterilize it and how to do it and how to put it together and how to socially distance, how to have everybody masked. And last year, how many? We did over 2,200 surgeries for the community. We only do Colorado, so that's for Colorado. And a lot of vet clinics and big, wealthy shelters were not helping out the communities. And I understand the reason why they couldn't because of liability and there's just a lot of red tape. But we were able, even with our quarantine, with those, we actually had three months of quarantine that we just did not do surgeries. And that was during the springtime. And then we started getting, there was a spike in November, December. So we decided not to do clinics then either. So but we're we still do. Agile, so but mm-hmm. we get the work done. Do it. Yeah. There's advantages to being sort of outside the system. You can adapt and not having to route things through multiple committees and submit it to government approval at uh, multiple levels. If you have a town that says, hey, it looks like you've got this figured out. Come on out. Let's do this. Great. More power to them. So yeah, being small and agile. I would hope most of our listeners appreciate the importance of spay and neuter beyond it just being a choice related to, I'm not breeding my animal, so let's go ahead and, and alter. Talk about the importance of that, especially in small communities where you have underserved populations who may not have the means otherwise to get their pet spayed or neutered or may not even be aware of why this should be a consideration. I ended up doing a proposal for the city and county of Delta, which is uh, right out on the western slope of Colorado near Montrose and Telluride or Grand Junction over on that side of Colorado. And I proposed the, the situation when I was on a Zoom meeting with the city of Delta, actually in both the city and county. But there is a big problem, and that's the feral cat problem. We have a huge feral cat population throughout the world. And a lot of these cats, depending on the climate, can have up to four to five litters in a year. They can start reproducing at 16 weeks of age. People don't understand that 16 weeks of age. And then after they have a litter, they can start reproducing two weeks later. So you do the math. Mm -hmm. It's so important on so many levels to have your pets fixed. And if they're outside cats, you're going to have a huge colony within a year or two. So it's just better to be proactive than be with a huge problem. And then a lot of the problems that we have with the feral cats, it's a human error. And we're trying to clean it up. And we've done a lot on the Western Slope. We've cleaned up and done over uh, 1,200 surgeries for feral cats in their area in the county in the last year. And so they ended up funding us for the feral cats for that purpose alone, which was great. I asked them for a certain amount. They gave me a little bit more. <laughs> so, and That's we're only nice allocating surprise. that. Yeah. So we're just allocating that for the feral cats. And it's been really a good 
program and the vets that I hire, I, I have this real incredible vet who I've been using for several years and her name's Dr. Ruth Parkin. She started VITAS, V-I-D-A-S, and she's actually world renowned. She's licensed here in Colorado, but she travels around the world and also teaches vet students in other countries how to do high quality, high volume surgeries. And then her vet tech who's also amazing is Laura Littlebear, who used to work for Humane Society of the United States. They are my vet team and they are a powerhouse and they can do up to, well, we've done up to a hundred cats in a day, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> and we still, it's like a 12 hour day, but it gets done and we have a whole system <laughs> to do it. If someone's not getting their pet spayed or neutered, you alluded to this earlier with the other services that you provide, especially if you can find out in advance other small procedures that may be needed. I'm guessing that's not uncommon that people come in with, yeah, I've never had my pet altered. And I don't know, is this an infection? Could somebody look at this? We do all that. Yeah. And as long as we have and we're able to do it, Sometimes we like to hire, I mean, if it's a hernia, a small hernia that can actually be done while the animal is in surgery, we're happy to do that and provide. And we ask for a donation if people can't afford that. If they can't, we just do it. It's just the cost of the surgery. We do minor things if we can do it, or we make notes and let the client know. Taking care of those minor things often can circumvent a later, much more invasive procedure that's more expensive and more risky to the animal. If someone's not getting to see a vet, they don't catch things early. Correct. So even if you're not performing the procedure, just being able to tell the pet owner that we can't take care of this now, but get this looked at. It may cost you $200, but if you don't get this looked at, it could cost you thousands of dollars or you may just lose this animal. Yeah. And there's a lot of problems, like with dogs, testicular cancer in the males, for females, pyometras. So it's just a whole bunch of different things that really, it's important to actually, it's not only just the pet overpopulation issue, it's also health issues and behavior issues. We can do dogs and cats, and there's a controversy on that, on whether, and I understand on both sides of it. I usually try not to do them that young, but we, we do do surgeries as long as they're two months and two pounds of age. And that's for dogs and cats. Now, some vets, there's a debate on like, they should be like four or six months, especially with bigger dogs, you should be fixed later on. I've heard different stories. I'm not sure what's right on that, but we do take care of them at early ages if the client wants them to, especially even the bigger dogs. And it's an attempt to mitigate this not being addressed at all. Yeah, in an ideal world, someone who has easy access and the resources to take care of this when their dog is older, Mm -hmm. great. Not an option for everyone. Well, let's rewind a little bit. You talked about the different communities that you serve. How did you get started? Because obviously you didn't start serving all of these communities. What was day one or leading up to day one of Bergen Spay and Neuter Alliance? I've been doing animal welfare for almost three decades. You know, I had other careers, but it was always as a volunteer 
I was with the shelter, local shelter in Denver, assisting with adoptions and ran the volunteer department. And then noticed there was a need back in the early 2000s with a lack of spay and neuter outreach. And I saw a lot of the PACFA data that came in to Colorado and PACFA's Pet Animal Care Facilities Act. And those PACFA numbers of animals, the live release rate in the shelters, there were some that were very low in the rural areas. For instance, Pueblo at one time, and we're just even talking like 10 years ago, they had 66% live release rate. And I'm like, well, how can we change those numbers? How can we maybe solve some of these issues? And of course, the root of it, of course, of anything is spaying and neutering and bringing awareness and education to these communities and providing those resources so they can get their pets fixed. So initially I started focusing on spay and neuter back in 2003 and, and it was a group called Four Paws Pet Center Colorado. And during that time, I would do work with the Colorado Veterinary Medical Association, DVMAS, Denver Area Veterinary Medical, for their SNP program, which was a local program throughout Denver, and that provided voucher programs for people who couldn't afford surgeries. And there were different participating vets. We had about, at one time, 50 vets locally that would do one to 10 surgeries per month. Those would fill up and these vouchers could be provided by uh, Denver Animal Shelter. And then I would be taking the calls. We would fill up within the first week. So at that point, I started kicking in my own funds with my own foundation with Four Paws Pet Center. And I started helping out. I got some different vet clinics to do some extra surgeries. So people didn't have to wait another month to call back Mm -hmm. to get one. And during that time, I had done that for several years and I ended up getting in contact with Felicia through a mutual friend of ours who I named my group after. And they were, I don't know if you want to discuss what you started with the pet food drive initially. Well, Wendy Bergen and I started a pet food drive. Yeah. Catherine Sachs. Yes, Catherine. And um, the three of us started a pet food drive in 2008 during the recession. Right. And uh, that's how we met. Mm-hmm. And that was my second program. And we onboarded that as a second program. So we were doing spay and neuter outreach and then a pet food drive program. And during that time, I was actually rescuing animals. And I was kind of the puppy pander of my neighborhood is what a friend of mine coined me as because I was always looking for someone. And at that time, there were no <laughs> laws I could actually rescue under 20 animals and have it through my own organization without having to be licensed through the state. And after those 20, I would actually take them to the Denver Dumb Friends League or different local animal shelters or rescues that could take other pets. And during that time, I met this gal named Tiana, and she knew some other people. She was getting her master's up in northern Colorado. And I'm like, hey, do you know anyone that can take these dogs? And so we would kind of tag team. Well, fast forward to 2013, she had finished up her master's and was doing her um had done a thesis on running a nonprofit like a business. And we met for coffee and she showed me her business plan. I said, it was phenomenal. I said, hey, do you want to be partner with me? We had three different programs, three different names. So it was Four Paws Pet Center Colorado Inc., Furry Friends Food Drive, meaning the pet food drive. And then we had Paws and Co-Adoptions. <laughs> so very it's a mouthful. Confused. Yes, under the umbrella of Four Paws Pet Center your Colorado. Your business cards had to be huge, oh, which is a very small thought. 
it was ridiculous. And we, we did a great job. I mean, Tiana was amazing. And the pet food drive, we really did a great job. But I think what happened during that time, and it really evolved and became more adoption centric, which was no fault of anyone's. It just really should have been a separate entity, like these programs, not necessarily the pet food drive, but the adoptions and spay and neuter part. And so not to go into a lot of detail, but my partner Tiana and I split off and I let her keep my nonprofit status and their group is still flourishing. So we parted ways. I took my mobile truck and this was in June of 2019 that we separated. Felicia and I had a very good friend, the one who started that pet food drive for the other organization and huge supporter of spay and neuter. And I just thought it was the right thing to do. She had passed away in 2017 from a brain aneurysm. I actually decided that would be the best name to name it after our girlfriend, Wendy Bergen. And so that's why it's called Bergen Spay and Neuter Alliance after her. And and since um, we started and we became a 501c3 early August of 2019, we've done over 4,500 right now, 4,500 surgeries. Well, that's certainly a wonderful tribute to her memory. And and I think another key point in you sharing the uh, evolution from where you were years ago to now is that recognition of maybe our focus has shifted. Maybe we need to step back and figure out what it is we're trying to do and refocus because I do see lots of people with the best of intentions just sort of falling into, okay, we're doing this just because this is what's happening around us, but this isn't what we intended to do, but this is important well, maybe someone else can meet that need, or maybe you need to change what is the purpose of your organization. So to recognize this need still needs to be addressed, Tiana, you take that, and Tiana takes the ball and runs with it, and we're going to do this. And But also that Tiana had a business plan, and I don't think enough not-for-profits do that. They that see a need, and their business plan is, we're going to meet this need. Yep. They Which have. that's not going to get you a loan at the bank. No. Right. And if you were a small business, you would need to have a business plan. And the reason for that is the bank wants you to be successful so you can pay back the loan. Well, yeah. we want the not-for-profit to be successful so it can reach its goals, so it can serve these populations. And if you don't have a plan, you don't give yourself much chance for success. Yes, no, founders, founders have good hearts, and they rarely have plans. And missions tend to creep. And those are the two most dangerous things that can happen to a nonprofit. I've been in the sector for 50 years. So I'm always, always paying attention to mission creep. And uh, one of the wonderful things about Tiana is that as one of the founders of PauseCo, she recently retired and is pursuing something else. And I haven't talked to her about it, but I suspect she was concerned about founder syndrome. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the was. reason why I left my nonprofit. Mm-hmm. That's because founder syndrome is such a dangerous thing. You hear about it and you say, here's a great idea. And the founder says, oh, we did that already. We did that. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, no, we don't do that. And the founder becomes the only voice that's heard. So that's what's been really wonderful with working with both Tiana in the past and Kristen now is that both of them see that. They yeah. see that. 
And we were a great partner. I mean, there's no qualms about, I think Tiana was like, oh my God, after she, you know, she goes, this is really hard just with me alone. I go, I get it. Yes. (laughs) You can do it. But she had other pursuits too. And and a full-time job, I'm in a little bit different situation, even though I have other work, I'm not working crazy hours like she was and then trying to run a nonprofit. So that was part of the thing too. But no, I think in my husband being in the animal welfare world, he's like, you two need to be kind of separate entities. And it was really difficult Mm -hmm. for funding purposes. It's like, okay, well, you're doing what? You're doing (laughs) spay and neuter. Where is our money going to go if we give you a donation? Yeah. So that was a real challenge. There's a link in the description for this episode to Bergen Spay and Neuter, where people can see how that money gets spent by either getting involved or finding a clinic. So anybody who wants to know what services are available, go to bergenspayandneuter.org. You can see the services. There's a link for getting involved to give of your time or your money. And perhaps most importantly, how to find one of these wonderful clinics. Your calendar is on your website so people know where you're going to be located. If there's a community that is not part of your network but recognizes that this is a need that should be met, do they need to either reach out to you or, and this is something we like our listeners to do, figure out how to start their own network? Would you be able to offer guidance to anyone who says, how do we get this up and running? What can you teach us? Can they sit down with you for a cup of coffee and you show them the ropes? As long as they live in the Denver area or one of my communities served in Colorado, happy to do that. With our nonprofit, it's kind of unique in the sense that some of the funding, I'm a volunteer myself as an executive director founder, but the money that actually goes to Bergen pays for the services for the vet and the tech and the veterinary materials. So it's kind of a unique kind of thing and how we kind of operate. So it's, it's not for everyone. For our listeners in Colorado, if you're looking for a animal welfare cause to support, here is a great one. Click through the link on the website. Anybody else out there who thinks, hey, this could work elsewhere, you're probably right. It could if you're willing to work hard. So work hard and start your version of what is being done here. Thank you so much. Boomer just drifted back into the shot. Hey, buddy. (laughs) That noise was Boomer, by the way. Handsome boy, the new feet. Well, Felicia and Kristen, thank you so much for what you're doing. And thank you for sharing your afternoon with us from Colorado. Going forward, any updates you have for us? Anything you want to share with our listeners? Let us know and we'll get you back on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you've been listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Thank you to Kristen DeMarais and Felicia Diamond of Bergen Spay and Neuter Alliance for joining us today. Links to bergenspayandneuter.org and the Facebook page are in the description. Next time on Dog Words, Julian Javor from Pet Rescue Pilots updates us on how COVID-19 impacted their work and what's next for this amazing organization that flies pets out of shelters and lands them safely in the loving arms of rescue groups, fosters, and forever homes. A big thank you to alternative string duo The Wires, featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks, for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's and previous episodes of Dog Words. Supporting The Wires supports our mission. 
When choosing the music for each episode of Dog Words, I try to find something from The Wires that fits with the tone of that episode. By no means have I played every song from their catalog. There's much more from The Wires than what you hear on this podcast. Learn more about The Wires at thewires.info and download their music on iTunes. Check out fiddlelife.com and learn to play fiddle and cello fiddle online from Laurel and Sasha, even if you've never played before. Celebrate five years of Rosie Fund by supporting our campaign to sponsor 50 dogs. With your help, we've already gotten to 30 dogs. You can donate on our website or Facebook page. You can also contribute by making a purchase from the website store, buying a t-shirt at bonfire.com, or putting some of our merch in your cart when you shop at Bark Yours. Links are in the description. Your donations help fund the Rosie Life Starter Kits that make sure these senior and harder-to-adopt dogs have some of the items they'll need in their forever home. As always, please download, follow, rate, and share dog words. This helps us with sponsorships, then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Support Rosie Fund by following us on social media, and please subscribe to the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel. Our latest post features a sweet KC Pet Project dog looking for a forever home. Send us your comments, questions, and suggestions at rosiefund.org, and let us know if you would like to be a sponsor or a guest of the Dog Words podcast. Thank you for listening, and remember, we save each other.